It's time for JT the Brick. JT. Woo. Hey, girls. How are you? Wow. I can go in 10 different directions today. Getting to know Raider Nation the way that you see them now, it's just different. JT the Brick. I think it's so important, especially for this new generation of Raider fans. Now we got something. Now we got some guys out of the tub, out of the training room, doing what they needed to do. It calms down the energy of the Raider Nation and saying, man, a lot of guys have been missing for a while. Where are they? And now they're back. This is this is what the Raiders are all about. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. I hope you're having a great day. you got to have a good day. You can't live and die with every game on a Wednesday or a Tuesday or on a Thursday here. But we thank you for tuning in. You know we mean that. We greatly appreciate you listening and especially streaming us on the Raiders mobile app as we kick off the show Thank you for tuning in. Busy show as always. We're always busy. We got good guests. We have the ability to interact with you. Interviews, uh, the opportunity to speak to the head coach, some players. Trevor Scott, former defensive end, is going to join us a little bit later in the show. Bill Williamson, who covers the Raiders extensively, our insider for today. And we will build up for the remainder of the week to get you ready for the Denver Broncos and hopefully a sweep of the donkeys. Uh, Brandon Cristal will join us tomorrow. He's a Broncos insider, and we'll find out what's happening in Denver. Now, a couple quick things are happening. Coach McDaniels just gave a press conference. I think, and I watched the whole thing, I think it's the most important one he's ever given since he's been here, other than the introductory press conference and all that when he was coming here. He basically got in there. He was asked tough questions about the team, you know, the motivation of the team, but most importantly, his plan. And I'm not going to play that portion because our crack team back at Lotus is trying to grab the parts that I want to play on the show, and that's going to take a few minutes. So please be patient. But we have it queued up. We want you know we're going to play about five or ten minutes of it coming up here in a moment. And what jumped out at me as I was sitting here in studio listening to it is what he said at the end. What he said at the end when he was asked about the plan and how do you stand by a plan when this is happening. And he talked about clearly they're trying to sustain something that will be consistent long term. So a lot of Raider fans don't want to talk long term. We know how angry you are, pissed off you are, how disenfranchised you are at the moment, whatever term you want to use. But he was asked about it. Mark Davis spoke about it on the record with several Raider insiders. And once again, I'm not saying you have to buy into the plan. And if you think that, you're not hearing me correctly. And I don't know why you're not hearing me correctly, because I'm making it very clear. I'm saying you don't have to believe in the plan, and you're doubting the plan, most of you, which I understand that. But you have to acknowledge the plan. And that's all I've really asked, and I've been very impatient with that lately. Even with my friends, the guys who listen to the show and friends of mine who text me all the time. And I I get pretty pissed off when people don't at least acknowledge something. So I'm acknowledging they're losing all the time. I'm acknowledging that they can't hold on to these leads. I'm acknowledging everything that's happening. I do that every day. And I think we've done it better than ever this year because the first time we've ever done it in Vegas. Because I've done this in Oakland in the past for years. But I'm doing it for the first time in Vegas. And the plan is set. The plan is in place. And the plan is to get this thing right. And it could you, you have to remain patient. Even in a season, season one, you have to remain patient with the plan, which Mark Davis approved of, Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels believe in, their staff believes in. I'm not saying every player believes in it. There's a bunch of them who do because they know that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler came here with a lot more recent winning than anybody in the Raider building. 
Okay, George Atkinson's in the building. George Atkinson has won at the highest level. He's a Super Bowl champ. So I want to make sure I make that clear. There are people in the Raiders building, especially alumni that have won at the highest level, and they know what winning's about. But a lot of people have not sustained or looked at the winning that Josh McDaniels has come from in the Belichick tree. And I'm sorry to bring that up again, but yes, it's true. He came from the Belichick tree where all they did was win. So they're trying to bring that culture, that plan in place, and it's been a bumpy plan. I was on a podcast today with Tom Curran, NBC Boston. He's probably the biggest expert on God's green earth of Josh McDaniels. He's friends with them. They know each other. He's covered the Patriots and all their championships. And he brought me on as a guest today to say, what the hell's going on in Vegas? And I gave my opinion, and he sent me the audio. We'll play that tomorrow. So at the end of this press conference, Josh McDaniel talked about it, and he gave you the answer. The answer that Indiana Jones was looking for in the Temple of Doom. What's the answer to all this? What are we trying to figure out? He's trying to figure out how to get it right so it'll be good for a long period of time. Let me repeat. How to get it right, get it right, and then keep it right for a long period of time. He just said it again, and he hasn't been saying that much. He hasn't been saying that much because we're going game to game, week to week, a lot of the drama are losing, and he told everybody the plan again. And I thought it was really interesting how he talked about the plan in New England when he got there. And he said they didn't have that plan. They, they instilled that plan. And then they got it finally, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. And it was really hard in New England, and then they got it. They figured it out. Even Bill Belichick had a plan in place in Cleveland. Did you ever see that documentary? I forget the name of it in Cleveland when Belichick had Nick Saban and had all those assistant coaches who were legends. They had a really good plan in Cleveland. They instilled it. Belichick was young. They were pretty competitive and pretty good, but they couldn't get over the hump. Belichick got fired. The rest is history. For Josh McDaniels, he's sticking to the plan. You don't have to like it. I am not spinning it, quote unquote, for you to like it. I'm just acknowledging the plan that is in place, which he talked about. So I hope to get that audio coming up here by the end of the show. And you can hear that if you didn't watch it already on social media as the Raiders put it out. It was only it was about a 20-minute press conference, and it was about 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago. So it's fresh content I'm trying to get up here on what the plan is. So it's always tr- it's very difficult to figure out the plan. And, you know, I take the military very seriously, and I don't morph the military into sports radio. unless. And I'm not a big analogy guy. There's some people on radio now, all they do is analogies about divorces. Well, when I went through my divorce, I hit the stop. No one cares about your divorce. Okay, I don't do that type of show, analogy radio. But I watch a lot of war movies. I really do. I've watched Saving Private Ryan like 25 times. Platoon, which is a disaster plan. If you want to talk about the most disastrous plans ever, Oliver Stone's Platoon. And what was happening there, all those guys were just trying to survive, right? And they were just trying to survive. But I always look at war movies, read a lot of books in my life, and I'm looking here and I'm trying to think of the plan. And if you read books about winners and people that win, there's a common thread. The plan is never right in the beginning, right? A lot of these guys have a plan. Bill Gates at Microsoft, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, whatever. They're trying something, some software. They just put all of it into it. It fails. And then all of a sudden, boom, they, they, a light clicks, and they go down a different road, and then the biggest plan of all time enters our lives combined, and it's pretty good. So I'm not going to be that dramatic with the Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler plan, but I know the plan was approved by the owner, approved by the gentleman who took the job, and they're sticking to the plan. 
And there's going to be guys that don't want to be a part of this plan because they're losing and it's late in the season. They might check out. They might. There are going to be other guys who are going to be here a long period of time because they're going to be into the plan. They're going to see a little bit of glimmer of hope in the light. All right, this is what Coach said. This is what Dave said. I'm seeing it now. It's working. So I'm really invigorated in the offseason to follow this plan. And then there's going to be other players. Here's the hook. There's going to be other players on other teams and free agents and draft picks who are going to sit in meetings before they come Raiders. They're going to be sold on the plan and why they believe it's working. But it's hard now. It's a hard sell. Let's just talk about sales in general. Sales is hard, isn't it? You're trying to sell vacuums. You're trying to sell pool cleaners. You're trying to sell memberships into a club, and you, you can't because it's tough to sell when things are going sideways. And the play on the field and the execution have been going sideways. The plan is as rock solid as it's ever been as the owner looks at it, the coach and the GM look at it. And I know that infuriates some of you because you don't want to dive into that deep, deep, deep conversation, nor do I with you on this radio show. I'll do it with you over a beer. You know, I talk to Cisco and the black hole guys, JT, what's going on? I tell them about the plan. Here's what I know. This is that. It's not working. That's a, that's a social thing I can do. i am got enough time in a two-hour radio show to do that with you. He did today. The coach did. He, t- he talked about the plan and how they want it to be sustainable. And I remember a conversation that I had with Coach Gruden, a private conversation a couple of years ago about his plan. And his plan was about matching Kansas City. Remember that with the players? That's why they got Henry Ruggs for Tyreek Hill. Uh, That's why they got Darren Waller when he came into the organization to match up with Kelsey. The plan was to try to get the thing similar to Kansas City with X's and O's. And then if you can beat them and sustain it, you're going to be a sustainable playoff team. It's kind of similar to this plan, but this plan is much more elaborate because of their scouts, the infrastructure of what they're trying to build. I think the most important thing, which I've shared to you, their grading system, the way they grade tape and grade a player in practice. I mean, these guys are at the point now, if you have a bad practice, if you have a bad practice, they tell you about it that day in the practice and point out what they, what they don't think you're doing right. I'm not saying that other coaches don't do it, but they've never done it at this level. This, this level's like Albert Einstein stuff about a grading and how you evaluate. And they're grading a lot of players who are not really good. They're not great players. You know, they're players that are undrafted free agents, players from the former regime, players that they brought in that they didn't grade correctly, like Chandler Jones. You know, that's a mistake. Everybody knows Chandler Jones is a mistake now. There's a chance a miracle can happen. His legs can activate. Something could happen. But the plan is the plan. So I just wanted to get that here to set the table because you're going to hear it, hopefully by the end of the show. And then, you know, you could do what a lot of fans do. Just say, that's BS. I don't care about it. Go on Twitter. Go on Facebook where the Raiders post something beautiful about the community. And then you go underneath that post about charity work and say, blank, blank, blank the coach. You know, we're not looking for those people on this show. We're looking for people that can put a conversation together, want to win, criticize the losses, really break down what's happening, what's wrong, and do a sports talk show. Because it's not going to turn in and evolve into a sports talk show that everybody's personalizing, hating the owner, hating the coach. They don't like this or that because I control the content and that won't happen here. There's plenty of other shows that you can join and podcasts that would welcome you to do that. And we just like to have a little bit more of an intelligent conversation. And we know by having an intelligent conversation, 
I'm going to get ripped for it because people think I have an agenda. Like any decision was ever made in the history of the Raiders in regards to JT the bleeping brick. Like anybody gives a crap about my opinion at the top, top, top of the food chain. And Mark's my friend. He's asked me a lot of questions in my life. But believe me, they never came down to the wire with a big decision and said, I wonder what JT thinks. Okay? That's what I do here. I just try to get you involved. Get you involved on what you're excited about, upset about, how it could be fixed. And where your head's at. And today, everybody's head's in a really bad spot. My head's in a really good spot. I'm going to share with you next hour what I did with Jim Plunkett last night, which was not to exaggerate too much because I'm a master exaggerator. It was kind of a spiritual moment that I had with Jim last night in the Bank of Nevada crew as I hosted a chalk talk, and I'll save that for later, about what Jim said about his life and adversity. Holy cow. Jim Plunkett's life adversity born the son of two blind parents cut uh serious health scare early in life stanford heisman trophy rookie of the year cut comeback player of the year two-time super bowl champion you think these guys have it hard at, at what two and seven really you think these guys over in henderson have it anywhere near what jim plunkett had when jim plunkett was in high school and had to move furniture and get it out of the way so his parents wouldn't get injured and walk into it. Had to get on a bus to go visit his grandparents in uh, New Mexico on behalf of his family to check in on them, ride a bus overnight and do all that. I mean, there's a lot of people that go through adversity, including on this roster. But after you know interviewing Jim Plunkett last night, it really put a lot of this noise into perspective for me. So I'll jump on that here in a little bit. So Bobby says we can play... Just the beginning, we'll play the beginning of Josh McDaniel's press conference, maybe five, six, seven, eight minutes to set the tone for what we're going to talk about today. Here's the head coach uh, just recently out in Henderson. Okay, Denver it is. So this is, uh, we just got done talking about this. Uh, This is an interesting uh, scenario because it's the second game of a division series and I'd say the team we're getting ready to play is uh, dramatically different than the one we played the first time, and that doesn't always happen. Um, But there's a number of players, obviously, that have changed, some that have come back, uh, some that are no longer there. Uh, So we spent a lot of time this morning talking about the differences in the two uh, rosters, honestly, and the, the getting familiar with the players we're getting ready to play against this time. You don't always have this um, the challenge of that because you, you a lot of times there's some familiarity and you're you're repeating a lot of the things that you said. But, you know, I'd say with all the, the, the guys that have either gone on IR or aren't there anymore and now some of the guys that are back, this is kind of a new, uh, you know, a new opponent in many regards, you know. So some of the guys are the same, but there's plenty that's different. Obviously, there's plenty that's up in the air too. So um, we're going to be busy studying uh, the potential um, matchups uh, that we could be faced with and the guys that they're going to play against. So uh, a little bit of a unique situation. Josh, what's it uh, going to be like for you walking back there as a head coach? Um, I don't – I mean, I've been back there many times, um, Not uh, obviously not as a head coach, but I've been back there many times as an assistant. Um, <clears throat> I don't expect it, you know. I mean, I'm not – I usually am just focused on the game. So um, just – 
uh, excited for the opportunity, obviously. Um, like I said, I know that everybody associates bad memories uh, with, with places that they've left if it wasn't necessarily on your terms, but I don't really look at it that way. Uh, they gave me a great opportunity. Uh, I was very thankful for that when I got it. Um, still am. And I've used it, um, you know, many, many times over to try to improve myself, hopefully as a coach and as a person. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people still there that I have a great deal of respect for and admiration. And um, just, you know, we'll just try to do the best we can here to compete. But this is this will not be about me. This will be about our football team trying to, to win on the road and win in the division on the road. Josh, I know you uh, lean heavily on your leaders, uh, about asking for the details of your conversations uh, with them, uh, but uh, as you talk to them, what's your sense of the information that they're relaying back to you about the tenor of the locker room and the, the, you know, the mood and the spirit of the locker room? Yeah, um, I think it's it's where you would want it to be. You know, um, you know, we all, like I said, we all face adversity. You know, and everybody wants to get caught up in, you know, the situation and the record and all this stuff. And you know, that's not. I mean, we can't do anything about that right now. You know, all we can do is focus on today and the opportunity we have this week. Um, I thought this morning was exactly the way you would want it to be. Um, you know, look, we're we're all professionals. We have a job. Um, that's what we're here to do, and uh, we we need to make progress and improve, and uh, that's what we're focused on. But I think the leaders have been great. They've been great all year, and I don't see that changing at all. <laughs> You've been in a lot of close games, one-score wins, one-score losses, obviously, throughout your whole career. When it's a loss, can you, in a weird way with the frustration, also take optimism that you're a couple plays away from flipping it? I mean, how do you kind of approach those when you go out and look at film and yeah. think what happened in the, in the game? I mean, there, <clears throat> you know, in many cases, the, the close ones are harder to, you know, uh, get over because you feel like you have an opportunity to win them, uh, which is, in most cases is true. Um, you know, and so we've been in a lot of games like that, um, which you can look at it however you want to. You know, the way I look at it is, is um, there are things we can do in each phase of our of our team that would help us win those games. You know, moving forward, and so I choose to look at it as if we are, you know, close to results that we're looking for, not you know super far away from them, and you know they're not within our reach. Uh, so. Um, just try to identify some areas that, you know what, if we close the gap here a little bit, um, that that would eventually affect the results in our favor. And so we spent a lot of time the last 48 hours doing that, and uh, we'll continue to try to do that because we want to try to provide solutions. You know, Everybody can talk about what it, what it was or what it wasn't, but um, my job is to try to figure out how to make it better. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> referenced about Denver being a different squad, but reciprocally, you guys are too as well. Yep. So yep. it's not a cut and paste type of plan, is it? You got no. This is an interest. That's what I said. This is an interesting dynamic because a lot of times when you play, you know, you play a division opponent and then you play in the second time. There's a lot of familiarity, whether it's scheme, personnel, uh, matchups, etc. That you that you go back to and you say, man, that hurt us, or we we got the better on that one, or whatever it is. I would say this one's almost like a new, like I said, like a new team, you know. Um, not every player's new, we know that, but there's a lot of changes that have happened between both teams. So I'd say that, you know, um, what what worked in the first game, you can look at it, you may try it again, but I certainly also think there's a psychology to that as well. Uh, you got to be careful. I've always been more uncomfortable if you win the first one than if you lose it 
because if you win the first one, your natural inclination and you know human nature is, well, let's just do what we did the first time. But the other staff's really good, and they're probably going to stop a lot of the things that you did to have success in the first game. And so there's a balance. You can't throw everything out that you did that worked, but you got to be careful about just relying on that. Um, and so this is our first opportunity, and we spent some time this morning talking about that with the team. You know, we can't just say, well, let's just roll the same game plan out there because they're going to practice those things, and they're probably looking at them saying, we can't let them beat us this way again. So um, there's a little bit of getting out in front of that before it happens on game day when you're playing the second game of a division rivalry. All right, so that's a portion of Josh McDaniel sticking to the plan. I think it very elaborate what he said about Denver, right? Very elaborate. You don't hear coaches saying that. I've never heard a coach say, you, know, you beat them the first time. This is a completely different team and not a very good team. And how you got a game plan and scheme for this team because they look new and this team's been struggling. So Denver's looking at them a little bit differently. So we'll dive into Denver here in a little bit. But today I thought Josh McDaniel stepped up to the podium, took the heat like he always does, takes the questions, answers them to the best of his ability, and is telling everybody, I'm working my ass off to try to fix this. You might not like it or not, but he is going to work to beat Denver, and hopefully they sweep Denver. I'm really excited about this game. To turn around the entire season, no. No, of course not. I'm excited to sweep the Donkeys because I've been involved with this team for 24 years, and Denver is a hated rivalry, and I love going on Denver radio during a sweep. It makes me feel a lot better, so hopefully that happens. Happy birthday to Chris in West Oakland. It's, to, it's his birthday today, and he leads off the show. Hello, Chris. Hey, JG. Thank you. I appreciate it. Unfortunately, nothing exciting. Just uh, you know, just just headed to practice today um, with my team. But look, I'm going to preface this phone call by saying I'm rooting for Josh McDaniel. I'm not one of these people that want to see him fail. What I'm about to say is. I hope a year from now we revisit this, and I'm dead wrong. There's nothing more I want to be. But this whole thing about the plan, I'm tired of hearing it already. Number one, I'm disappointed in Mark Davis talking about Rome wasn't built in a day. We won 10 games a year ago, added Devontae Adams, added Chandler Jones, and now we're 2-7. and seven. I'm not a conspiracy theory. I don't believe for a second they're tanking. But I also don't believe for one second that the Raiders thought at this point in the year they'd already be looking towards next year. But let's get to this plan a little bit. Look, when McDaniels made the point, we had the plan. You know, it took us a while. No, you didn't put the – the plan didn't get in place. You Tom Brady happened. You mentioned Belichick. They made the playoffs once in five years, JT, in, in, in Cleveland with Belichick. They lost at least nine games in four of the others. In his first two years in New England, they were 5-11 and when Brady was a rookie and didn't play, and then they lost their first two games when Bledsoe got hurt. Belichick didn't choose Brady. Bledsoe got hurt. Chris, 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 hold on a second. You have to acknowledge... Okay. You have to acknowledge that Brady was a sixth-round pick. Not a first, now, hear me out. He wasn't a first-round pick. He was a sixth-round throwaway, fourth-string quarterback. Not third, not third, fourth string. And they developed him. They, he didn't come from Michigan as Dan Marino. They worked their ass off to develop his ass to the greatest of all time. You won't give credit to Belichick. You don't have to give credit to McDaniels, who called every one of those plays. You better give credit to, to 
Belichick for drafting his ass in the sixth round when they didn't want him in the fifth, fourth, third, second, first, and then develop him into Tom Brady. Tom Brady was nothing when he came to the NFL. Give the owner and the head coach and maybe the coordinator a little bit of credit here. Give them all the credit they want for getting lucky. Which evidence do you need, JT? And this is my argument. They didn't develop Brady. Brady was great. They got lucky they got him in the fourth round. If he's so great at developing, how come it's never worked with any other quarterback? Any Patriot assistant, Belichick has helped. It's only worked with Tom Brady is my point. So I'm tired of hearing about the system. I'm tired of hearing about the plan. The plan was Tom Brady. Tom Brady left Belichick, continues to win a Super Bowl. He's going to win another division title. Belichick's never even won a division title without Brady. Wow. I'm tired of (laughs) JT. How much evidence do you need that Belichick is an average football coach without Brady? Average? Okay. Average? He's he's 14 games under 500 and missed the playoffs in eight of ten seasons without Tom Brady. That doesn't get you in the conversation as the GOAT. That gets you fired anywhere else. Tom Brady fed a lot of families. Joe Judge, Matt (laughs) Patricia. I can go on and on about the massive failures. How much evidence does there have to be that it was Tom Brady, not everybody else? That being said, I hope I'm wrong with McDaniels. You keep towing this line with Belichick, and I'm going to keep pointing to the massive failures of Belichick and everybody else without Tom Brady. That being said, thank you for the birthday wishes, my brother. You know I still love you, even though we disagree on this. I'll have a couple of shots tonight, man. I'll have a shot for you, too. I'm I'm off tonight. I'll have a beverage for you. I cannot believe the insanity of what Chris just said on his birthday. That Belichick is going to go down as the greatest coach of all time. There should be a debate. Belichick or Brady. There should be a debate. It should be 60 Brady, 40 Belichick. 49 Belichick, 51 Brady. As I just blew up that whole phone call with one key point. Belichick's the guy that drafted him. Belichick gave Brady. Brady was not great. He wasn't a fourth rounder. He was a sixth rounder. He was a throwaway pick. Now, he had the greatness within him, but he wasn't Joe Montana coming out of Notre Dame. He wasn't John Elway coming out of Stanford. He wasn't Jim Plunkett coming out with the Heisman Trophy. So again, if you can't see, and I'm not saying this, this has nothing to do with the Raiders. If you can't give credit for the Patriot organization taking Tom Brady in, making him a fourth stringer who went to a third stringer who went to a second stringer, helped him in all those film studies practices, called called the plays for him, called the plays for him, almost every one, and developed him until he became the second Super Bowl Tom Brady, the third on the way to seven. If you can't give the coach credit for that and the organization, I think you're nuts. Okay, so stop with that. Belichick, I was at the Hall of Fame in the archives, not the second story, the archives, and they have a catacombs of Belichick information dating back to the Colts, the Colts and the Detroit Lions where he got hired to Cleveland. Oh, and the Lawrence Taylor years with Bill Parcells. Lawrence Taylor, two-time Super Bowl defensive coordinator, and then he won six with the Patriots. Bill Belichick will go down in history ahead of Vince Lombardi, Don Shula, John Madden, and them all as the greatest coach of all time. He gave Brady a pulse. He gave him a heartbeat, and Brady took all of that and ran to the top. But come on, come on, acting like Belichick had nothing to do with this. 
And Josh McDaniels was there for pretty much all the Brady stuff and helped Brady along the way. How do I know that? Because Brady said it a thousand times, not a hundred times, thanking Josh McDaniels. And I'm not saying Josh McDaniels is never mad, never Flores, not Belichick. He's a work in progress. We'll see where he gets to. But his knowledge of football is pretty much near the top. Now he's got to get the players to execute, better players. And they got to win games where they have big leads. That was a memorable monologue. Thanks to Chris. See, a caller, a caller can ignite a flame and get people talking, and I know that. Love that. Trevor Scott's going to join us coming up. We got something to talk about with him and Bill Williamson, Raider Insider. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, just what I've known about them throughout the league, you know, production in terms of, you know, interior defensive line play, some versatility there as well. You know, he's, I think he's been on the edge maybe a little bit throughout his career. And then, you know, you see um, some um, production in the pass rush. You know, he's a big, long guy that plays with his hands. He's physical, um, has a, some twitch to him. So, you know, he's had some production in this league, and so that's a good thing. Well, how cool is that? that? We're talking about Tilly, the newest member of the defensive front. Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator. We're brought to you by M Resorts Bond Casino. Whenever we have an alumni on, it's brought to you by M. The Snow Carnival, the Holiday Forest is coming up November 23rd throughout December. You have to go to this at M Resort. You're going to love it. And the alumni love the M Resort. And here he is, former defensive end Trevor Scott. Trevor, I'm hearing rave reviews about your time in Vegas. Not only was everybody happy to see you, but you were thrilled to be out in Vegas with Raider Nation. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. What was it like for you? I know you came back in support of Richard Seymour, the alumni department. What was it like on the ground in Vegas? What did you see at Allegiant Stadium before we get to the game? It was unbelievable. Um, I'd been in Vegas uh, a couple times before um, outside of Allegiant Stadium. Stadium never went in, um, and uh, it did not disappoint. I mean, top to bottom, um, everything they've done with that organization, you know, with the facilities, um, just, you know, the alumni program, uh, you couldn't ask for anything better. Um, they're really doing it right, and they have great people in the organization running ahead and everything. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was very thrilled and very pleased. Awesome. Trevor Scott's our guest. All right, let's start with the facility before the stadium again. What do you think of that? You played at the highest level for the Raiders in big games. You walk in there, you see the training room, the fields inside and outside. You must have been blown away. Yeah, it was wild. Um just, uh, I mean, you know, the natural grass, you know, rolling, rolling the turf, uh, rolling the grass out, rolling it back in. Um, it just, I mean, the stadium itself looks like it's, you know, going to blast off in outer space, you know, if it wants to. Um, but, uh, you know, just the, uh, the theatrics inside, um, just, you know, up, you know, on the suite level, you know, on the field level, I mean, just, just top to bottom. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible with, you know, what they're able to do with that place. Yeah, Trevor Scott's our guest, former Raider, defensive end, once a Raider, always a Raider. You know, you really connected, and I watched your entire career, and you love the black hole and the fans in Oakland. This is different. It's not Oakland. We never compare it to Oakland. But what are, your, what are some of your fondest memories with the Raiders playing on a game day, an atmosphere, with a big opponent, division opponent coming in when the Coliseum was packed? 
there was there was no better feeling uh, in, in my playing career. Um, just playing in the, you know in the Coliseum, um, you know, growing up, you know, all, you know all about the Raiders. You know, obviously, you know, I remember you know games in the Coliseum. You know, they went to LA, came back, um, but uh, you know, I, I remember like a, you know a Monday night game, you know, versus the Chargers. Uh, you know, and any type of you know, in, you know, in division rival like that, it was just you know, you're walking into that stadium, you know, the smells, just you know, the fans are electric. Uh, I mean, in, in the parking lots, you know, coming in on the buses, uh, I mean, it, the, the, the the parking lots are absolutely just packed. Everyone's just tailgating, um, you know, throwing the footballs around, you know, the camaraderie, you know, uh, you know, win, win or loss, you know, post game. Uh, those fans, they are still out there. Um, they wanted nothing more than you know to see us win. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was no 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 greater experience than being out, you know, in the, you know for myself, you know, being out in the Bay Area. Uh, and, you know, in front of those fans, you know, playing for Al Davis, you know, in that stadium. Trevor Scott's our guest. He was just back here with the alumni for the last game at Allegiant Stadium. You know, I remember your backstory because you're from Potsdam. You went to Buffalo. I'm from Long Island, New York. I went to Geneseo State University. You know, I know that region of the country pretty well. And what was the early years like for you? When did you find the love and passion for football? I'm assuming you played multiple sports growing up as a kid. What gravitated you to football? Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, you know, I played multiple sports, you know, football, basketball, ran track, you know, younger years, you know, soccer, baseball, you know, all that stuff. Um, but I guess I don't think there's there's just there's not another game like football. Um, you know, other kids, you know, playing sports. I mean, even now, you know, going to, you know, my son's, you know, baseball games and things like that. And kids just gravitate towards football because what are you seeing? You're seeing at a baseball game. But what are the kids playing outside the baseball game? You know, they're throwing a football around, you know, so. For whatever it is, um, I mean, it's it was the greatest sport to me. Um, I am who I am because of football. I got to where I did it in life because of football. Um, but yeah, just uh, you know, and then of course, you know, going to college, you know, you know, for just one sport, you know, being football. And I mean, that was just kind of it, man. Uh, I just that was always like my number one because you know, I mean, it's almost like you know, gladiators. Almost you're you know you're playing. You know the uh, the competition. You're playing in front of you know, you know a lot of fans, um, and it's yeah. It was it gave me everything that I have, and I am who I am because of it. Nicely said, Trevor Scott's our guest, former defensive end for the Raiders. So, tell us quickly the new listeners here in Vegas about your draft story. Two thousand eight, sixth round, pick one sixty nine. You come to the Raiders near the back end of Mister Davis's life, where he wanted to win. He's trying to take another shot. What was it like initially, and the first time you met Al Davis? Uh, it was intimidating to say the least. <laughs> um, Al Davis was, I mean, the ultimate competitor, the ultimate coach. Um, I mean, even even up until you know his ended days. Um, anytime he was ever around in the facilities, he was talking football. Anytime he saw you, um, it was about what just happened in practice, right? I mean, he was all over the film, twenty four seven. He was football. Right and just you know what he did for the league, um, and then um, his son. I was always very fond of, of Mark because Mark was always around every day in the facility. Um, I always had great conversations with him. Um, but you know to play for you know a legend and icon and Al Davis. I mean there was nothing better to me. As we wrap this up, you know when you leave the Raiders and your Patriot year, you know we're talking a lot about the Patriots and Josh McDaniels and the plan here going into place and. 
you know, the Patriots and their success and their culture. Do you have a comment on that? Because the Raiders are really struggling now with their record, but they're trying to get something in place for the duration to be consistently good. What was the change like from you when you went from the Raiders to the Patriots and other organizations? Um, the, the change. So it, it, it was, it was just, it was different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there's been turnover in Oakland, right? And every time you have turnover, you know, a new coach comes in, you know, they bring in their, their different coordinators, right? So it takes time. I mean, Bill Belichick, he's been in that organization. He is who he is and he has a system in play, right? And he was able to win, you know, I mean, is it, was it Tom, Bra- you know, was it Belichick? Was it Tom Brady? You could, you could, you could argue that, you know, until you're blue in the face. But either way, you know, Belichick has a system in place. He's able to, you know, uh, bring his players along, draft players, you know, develop them. Um, but it's so it's tough for a new coach to come in and just start winning, you know, day one, right? Like every coach has like a plan in place, and it just takes time for that to develop. Um, you could go, you know, around the league. I mean, Belichick's been there for, you know, 20 plus years. Right. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of coaches out there that have been able to do that. Um, so I think it's a it's a case by case, you know, situation. Um, of course, you know you you draft guys, you know who you think are going to help win, and for whatever reason, some of them pan out, some of them don't. You know, it's just that's just how it is. But it's just about finding the good ones. You know, keeping a good group, uh, you know, uh, together so they can gel. Um, and because I mean, t- turnover, you know, changeover is, is tough within an organization, but you know. You know, the organization, they do, they do what they think is going to be the best thing for the team. You know, they're not just bringing guys in because they think they're going to lose, right? They're, they're, mm-hmm. That's why they bring guys in, because they're trying to win, right? So it's, it's just a matter of time, and we just got to, you know, just be patient and, you know, just keep working. Thanks, Trevor. Finally, tell us about your personal life, your family, what's going on with you. Where are you living now? Where, where did you locate to? So I live in Boynton Beach, Florida. Nice. Um, I own I uh, I own a cabinet company, so we redo kitchens and baths. Um, there's, I have two locations, one in Maine and one in South Florida. Um, we're Maine cabinet company. I'm married. Uh, I, uh, my wife she ran track at Buffalo. Um, her two brothers have a collective uh, 17 years of NFL experience. One who actually is the special team coach for the Colts. Um, so football is pretty much who we are. I have uh, three kids, uh, two boys and a girl, eight, five, and three, or eight, five, and two. Um, and yeah, they are my life. They are all I think about. All I you know look forward to you know watching them grow. And and they are phenoms. Awesome. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah. So I couldn't I couldn't be you know more lucky you know to have what I have and you know to be who I am. And uh, you know a lot of it you know came from football, the Raiders. You know who you know gave me my shot. And um, but yeah, yeah, couldn't couldn't be more fortunate. Sounds like you're a blessed man, Shannon, in the entire alumni department. Speak so highly of you. Look forward to seeing you next time you come out here for a game. Keep coming out to Vegas. And pleasure talking to you on Raider Nation Radio, Trevor. Thank you, JT. Yes. Take care. Much appreciated. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Trevor Scott, who was out here, and he was doing sweet visits, and it was good to see him out there. And once a Raider, always a Raider, brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. He went to the Patriots from the Raiders. Talks about the culture winning, how long it takes. Everybody wants to win. He was a good player. Trevor was a good player. He played in the league a little while. He was with the Raiders from 08 through 11, then the Patriots and the Buccaneers and the Bears at the end. Uh, had 116 total tackles, 16 and a half sacks in his career, a couple of fumble recoveries. And I remember him really distinguishedly from the area he came from in Buffalo when I first interviewed him. It has to be, God, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, whenever it was. So I remember him and nice to connect with him again. 
right here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Bill Williamson, elite Raider insider. Been covering the team longer than any Raider insider, or as long as possibly Paul Gutierrez, probably right around the same time. So he has good insight. He put out some really interesting content this week that I'm going to talk to him about. We're kind of wide open at the top of the hour. I want to hear from you. We're going to play part of the answer to Josh McDaniel's press conference today that I want you to hear about. So stick around for that next. Again, an offset eye. Jacobs behind Johnson. Snap. Jacobs through the middle. Hands raised. Touchdown, Raiders. Josh Jacobs had it at the three, the two, the one, and he's in. Raiders tie it up with 151 to go in the third. 13 apiece. He capped off a beautiful Las Vegas drive. It's Jason Horowitz on the call, the voice of the Raiders. JT back with you. Bill Williamson. Kind enough to join us, covers the Las Vegas Raiders for SB Nation, 23, uh, 26 straight seasons. And wow, Bill, you've been busy this week. I mean, some very dramatic columns here. Mark Davis's options, Josh McDaniels or Derek Carr, the Ziegler plan and, and the future plan going forward. Where do you want to start? What are you most passionate to talk about? Well, yeah, I mean, it's busy. And that's, you know, that's what happens when, when this type of thing happens is that you start talking about the future and what ifs. And, you know, I mean, January may be really busy um, for the Raiders in, in a way that we didn't think so. Instead of, you know, looking at playoff um, matchups, we may be looking at, you know, rumors and some kind of staff changes. I mean, after Monday, it seems like, you know, Josh McDaniel's security is, is, is safe because Mark Davis came out to the Las Vegas Review Journal and said he's doing a fantastic job. That raised some eyebrows. Um, and then the Athletic reported that he uh, has been assured he'll be there next year. Of course, you know, assurances from owners are, you know, taking what they are, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty flimsy. If this continues to go bad the rest of this season, Mark can always change his mind. And, of course, there's reports out there today that the only reason – He's not making that move is because he's cash poor. That'd be in relative terms of NFL ownership. So, you know, that's what we're dealing with here is just all of the rumors and speculation and what ifs. And, I mean, to tell you the truth, the last couple of weeks, because my job is to, you know, get the conversation going every day. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, okay, when's the time to start thinking about this stuff? But I think after three straight losses to – three bad teams it's time because you know i never say never because i'm not in control of any of this stuff they can go on a big run they can finish 10 and 7 and maybe that gets them in the playoffs so i'm not saying it's out of the question but it's very highly unlikely bill williamson is our guest so we're going to play it after your appearance on the show about what Josh McDaniels said about being a sustainable winner. It's, it's tough yeah. for that to break through the noise when you have only a couple of wins here, but you wrote about it. And so take us down your journey with the plan, what you think, what you think is right and structurally right about this plan and why it's been so difficult to get off to a good start. Well, I, you know, I think what you're, you're talking to is like, you know, when, when Josh, Mark Davis, excuse me, has really two choices. And it, and it might come down to, do you make a coaching change? And if you don't make that coaching change, you let the coach 
and the general manager. And I think the coaching change, I think if the Raiders were to blow it up with McDaniels, you'd almost have to get rid of the general manager, too, because they're a package deal. I mean, you know, they're close friends, and, and that's why they're both there is because of the other. So, it, it you know, it's really a package deal, as I say. So if, they, if that brass is given the chance to, okay, David says, okay, I believe you. This wasn't a great roster. It's going to take time. You do your thing. Well, what's the other option then? Because when there's major change in the NFL, it's usually quarterback or coach, right? So if the coach is fine, then you look at the quarterback. And I don't think the Raiders' issues this year is as simple as Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels. There's more to it. But those are the two primary positions. And I don't think, I don't get the sense that they don't get along. You know, obviously it's not working as well as they expected. It hasn't clicked yet. He, the quarterback hasn't been as good as he was last year um, and the year before. Uh, but he hasn't been awful. But, again, if it's about the future, it, it's, it might be a hard sell to everybody to bring back a guy for his 10th year who's going to be 32. He is kind of what he is, you know. So, and you, you say to Davis, okay, look at it. We can get rid of his contract. What about six million dollars? We eat. That's we've eaten worse. Um, and then there's like three or four draftable guys in the first round. We're gonna have a high pick. Let's make that move now. And yeah, there's. I don't know if that would be. That would certainly still be. That wouldn't answer any questions for 2023 because when you get a rookie quarterback, it, it, it's tough and it's growing mm-hmm. pain. You may have to bring in another bridge quarterback. And there's other. There's other needs on this team, offensive line, all throughout the defense. If they're just not a quarterback away by any means, but it would be McDaniel's and Ziegler's guy. So I can see, you know, this took a long way to getting there, but if McDaniel's is the coach next year and it's because he's convinced Davis that it's going to take some time, that may be the perfect time to make a quarterback change. Bill Williamson, as we wrap it up, where do you stand on Darren Waller? Yeah, interesting. I mean, there's a story in the Las Vegas Review Journal about there's growing frustration. I, I found the timing of the story, and that, that's not to rip Vinny's reporting mm-hmm. at all. I just the timing is a little interesting because he's. It took him four weeks or so to get on the IR. He's been on the IR. He was on the IR for four days after that story came out. So, is the frustration? After he went on the IR, is there something going on those four days? Um, really interesting. I, I again, I, I, I'm not questioning the reporting at all, um, but it's just a unique situation. I'll tell you, JT, when teams have that feeling about a player, and if, it, if that's, it's usually that player is not there the next year, right? So we'll just have to wait and see how that. I, I, I'm kind of taking a let's just let's see this develop. But it was a very interesting story for sure. Bill, I think this is a big game for Nate Hackett. Really is. Because say what anybody wants to say about Josh McDaniels, he has a plan, and the owner agrees with the plan on what they want to do. Denver doesn't have a plan, and they don't have the execution. They're playing poorly, even though they have one more win than the Raiders, but no one really believes in the plan, and both head coaches are under a lot of scrutiny. What's at stake in this game? Raiders have an opportunity to sweep the Broncos again. That's a big deal in Raider Nation. Yeah, and well, they they do have a plan. It's just not working. You know, it was it was have carry uh, carry Wilson to the Super Bowl with a good defense, and 
Wilson's not holding up his end of the bargain, and neither is Hackett. So, yeah, they they got big troubles there for sure. Um, really interesting game. If you can say a game with, between a three-win team and a two-win team is interesting in late November. Um, you know, the Raiders are really bad on defense. The Broncos are really bad on offense. Broncos are averaging 14 points a game. Um, it's the worst in the NFL. I think it's on pace to be the third worst in the NFL in the last 10 years. But here's, here's another interesting part of this, is that the Raiders scored 32 points against the Broncos in Week mm-hmm. 4, and that was the most that the Denver defense has given up by a long shot. It, it was 19 other than 32, so that's a big difference. And then yeah, the, Broncos, the Broncos' offense has scored the most the 23 they scored against the Raiders is the most they've scored this year. So it's going to be, yeah, I think it's just going to be another teeth-pulling game for the Raiders. And, and, and straying from a little bit, if, if I can say, that, I think the biggest disappointing thing for the Raiders, for fans, should be that they've had a really easy record schedule here. Mm. Um, so I'm going from... Last time they played a team with a winning record was Week 5, Kansas City. It won't change until Week 12 against Seattle. I mean, mm-hmm. I know there was a bye week in there, but there's five or six other games there. Their, their opponents have the, they have the third easiest schedule in the NFL right. thus far, and it just hasn't happened. And I think that's – I mean, they, mm-hmm. out of the first nine games, they were favored to win seven of them, and they won two of them. So this is another really good chance to win a game, but can they do it? Thank you, Bill. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Have a great holiday. We'll talk to you right after it. Thank you, Jakey. Thank you. Uh, Bill Williamson. Thanks. Bill has got a lot of good information this week. A lot of controversial stuff, too. You know, stuff that we touch on, but you know, I'm not diving into doing Derek Carr. Is he back or not? Darren Waller, will he be back? I don't do that. I'm not doing it, and we'll do it at the end of the year or if we, we get a press release on anything. I don't, do, I don't do radio that way. I don't assume that I talk to people every week that I'm going to do radio shows about them leaving until it's announced or the season is over. And, man, we got a lot of football left, a lot of football left. That's a lot of games at the Torch, a lot of Sundays at the M Resort when they're on the road, all right here on the flagship of the Raiders.